Well, they're not all the best. One has to be the best. We're going to find out this morning that Jesus is the best. That no matter how many other things we may try in this world, that Jesus is better than all of them. Our text this morning is in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What awesome verses. You know, the saying that I mentioned at the beginning indicates that the pizza in that box is the best, better than any other. It's telling you to stop looking around at other places. You've found it. Don't look around anywhere else. You found the number one pizza. I don't know about you, but when I move into a new neighborhood, I always ask, where's the best pizza? (laughs) I did that when we moved to Monroe uh, last year. The thing with that is, I found it's a matter of opinion. Because... Some people will say, well, you have to go here. I'm looking at Rob Cara because I, I asked him, I think, first. Uh, some people will say, you have to go here. Don't go anywhere else. It's the best pizza. And you'll go and you'll try it and you'll say, yeah, it's okay. And then someone else will tell you, no, you have to go here. This is the best. And you'll go there. Well, one of them has to be the best. They're not all the best. The saying is about a hundred years old. They started using it on pizza boxes, of course, in New York City about 50 years ago. So someone had this bright idea that if you just tell people that they're eating the best, that they'll believe it and they won't go anywhere else. And like I said, the problem with that is that it's a matter of opinion. When it comes to the things of God, our opinions don't count. It's not a matter of opinion about Jesus. Jesus is the best. His word proves he's the best. His life proved he was the best. The salvation that comes through Jesus is better, is the best, is better than anything else that came along. And that's what this book of Hebrews teaches us. That you can look and look and look and search through this world. You can try This and that, you can try a lot of different things, but Jesus will always be the best. He'll be better than all of those. The author of this book challenges the recipients of the letter to stop looking anywhere else for something better. When Jesus is the best, 
And it was written at, in that time to encourage the Jewish believers of that day. You have to understand that all of the Christians in the early church were formerly Jewish believers. Most of them were. They had to come out of something that was not better to come to Jesus who was better. Most of them were involved in a religious system that held a lot of things above Jesus, that held a lot of things as better than Jesus. And they needed to leave that religious system. I think that, and you'll probably agree, that more people are hindered from coming to a true relationship with God because of adherence to religious traditions. They're stuck in something that's familiar. They're stuck in something that's, that's maybe been a part of their upbringing, part of their family. They're involved in something because it's comfortable. And in order to have a true, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, they need to come out of that. I think you'll find that most people are not irreligious or non-religious. I think people are more stuck in a religion as opposed to a relationship. And you hear that said a lot in Christian circles. It's not about religion. Jesus spoke against the religious traditions that, that took people away from a true relationship with Him. So the author of this book is saying, come out. Come out of that relationship to the religious system and come into a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. He's saying, also, if you have left a religious system, like some people have in this book that, that the author is writing to, some people had left that religious system, come into a relationship with Christ, but for some reason they were being drawn back. There was something that was a, that was a draw. There was something that was tempting them. People were trying to tempt them to come back to that, into that religious system, into that, that works-based system. And the author is saying, no, stay there, move forward, don't go back. Move forward into a relationship with Jesus. Don't be tempted. Don't be tempted to add some type of self-righteousness, some type of works-based righteousness to the finished work of Jesus Christ. On a personal note, I had to leave a religious system that I grew up in that was part of my family for many, many years that I felt was where I was supposed to be, that felt comfortable to me. I had to leave that system just to even hear the gospel. And yet it was a religious system. But it was a religious system that was based more on works than it was on faith in Christ. Some of you have probably experienced that. I know for the author of this book, he's writing for, to, specifically to Jewish people how difficult it must have been for them to say to their family and friends, I'm leaving the traditions of the past and I'm coming into a relationship with God not through 
the 613 laws that the, that the religious leaders had imposed on the people. I'm coming into a relationship with God through His Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. How difficult that must have been for them. It's not easy. You're breaking with family traditions. You're leaving behind what's become comfortable and familiar. You're going into something new. It's like anything else in this world. When we leave our comfort zone and move into something new, there's, there's, uh, there's difficulty there. And people will always tell you, just stay where you're at. It's, what, why are you causing waves? Why are you trying to move into something new? Aren't you, aren't you fine where you're at? And a lot of people will try to draw you back. But when you find something that's better... When you find the truth which lies in the, in the finished work of Jesus, when you truly find that best thing, why would you go back? Why would you look for anything else? And we need to, we need to be able to break from that. And we all come from some type of tradition. You know, some of us may have been, some of you may have been raised in a good Christian Bible teaching church. Some of you may have come from no religion at all. But still, even there, there's traditions. There's family, uh, there's, there's family traditions. There's, there's things that you've done for years and years and years that you may have to break free from in order to establish that relationship with Jesus. You know, the Jewish people at that time had virtually the entire history of the Old Testament to rely on. And I think of Jewish people today, and I know we have some in this fellowship, who have broken from that tradition and how difficult it must have been. Some people are actually disowned by their family because of it, because of making that choice. And yet they know it's the right thing to do. It takes courage to break from those traditions of the past. The old Jewish religious system had a rich heritage in the things of the Old Testament. The, the, all of the traditions, all of the rituals had a rich heritage, but they also had a purpose. And a lot of the Jewish believers then and now don't even see the purpose behind those traditions. See, those traditions, those rituals were always a shadow that pointed towards the substance which is Jesus Christ. And the man-made things detract and distract us from the substance which is Jesus. See, for many people, the traditions and the rituals become the substance, not the shadow not something that points us towards Jesus, who is the substance. So what this author, and there's a debate on whether it's Paul or Luke or uh, even Barnabas, what the author is saying is that if you're in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus, don't return to the dead relationship within a religious tradition of the past. Move forward into a better blessing. 
Because Jesus is superior. He's better. And even though that pull from religious traditions may be strong, even, that, even though that pull from family and friends may be strong, you need to be able to work through that. I love the book of Hebrews. I think next to the book of Revelation uh, and, and the Gospels, and we're going through the Gospel of John now, we're seeing the deity of Jesus. We're seeing His nature. We're seeing His character in that Gospel. And the book of Revelation reveals Jesus' purpose and His plan for humanity. Hebrews gives us also a, that complete picture of who Jesus is. It's a doctrinal book, but it's sort of within the, the, uh, it's, it's within the, the style of a letter because it's written to the Hebrew people at that time. And again, it's written to them who desired to go back to those traditions and it's, a, and it's an exhortation to stay with Jesus. The exhortation is expressed in the revelation of Jesus Christ better than the Old Testament economy, better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than the priesthood. Remember, in the book of Hebrews, it speaks of a priesthood, a priest who, who dies, and then a new priest has to be added to the priesthood. Jesus Christ is alive. He's the great high priest. No other priest needs to come since him. He's done it all. And I love this letter because it uses that word better 13 times. 13 times. So there must be a reason why. Why would we stay in a relationship that's not better instead of moving into a relationship that is better? Like that pizza. If you really found the best, why would you go to anything else? So before we go into our main text, which is Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to take you through just some of the examples in the book of Hebrews that speaks about Jesus being better. And what we're going to do here is we're going to lay a foundation. We're going to build the case that Jesus is better than all of these things. And if He's better than all of these things, then He must be the best. So we'll start with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus is better than the angels because He is God. Having become so much better than the angels, He has by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Angels are very prominent in the Old Testament. But they are just messengers for God, messengers from God. Jesus is the Son of God. Angels are servants of God. Jesus is the King of the universe. Angels are subjects under God, under Jesus. And Jesus is the creator of all things. Angels are created beings. So just in those three ways, we see that Jesus is better than the angels. And yet, they were given, the angels were given a very prominent and important place in the minds of the people. 
And even today, if you think about it, there's a whole industry that caters to angel worship. There's a whole industry that caters to to honoring and praising and worshiping angels as, as, as being those agents of, of miraculous things in people's lives. And as opposed to giving the glory to God, they glorify angels. But Jesus is superior to angels. And in some religious systems, like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, they believe that Jesus is an angel. But it says in verse 4 that Jesus is better than the angels. So I've never heard of a real decent explanation as to why they believe that Jesus is equal to angels. It says here he's better. He's better. And we need to be warned by the scriptures not to stray towards something that's not better, giving honor to something other than Jesus. And then... The next verse in Hebrews 6, 9. Jesus offers a better life. Which includes salvation and the abundant life that comes along with it. What better life can we have? It says in verse 9, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner. Jesus offers to us so much better because we don't have to wonder if we've done enough to be saved. The salvation that Jesus offers is a completed, finished salvation. Christ has done it all. There's nothing that we can add to it. And in addition to salvation, this verse says, the things that accompany salvation... What accompanies our salvation but a rich and a fruitful and abundant life in Christ? It's a different mindset that people would have if they're working for their salvation as as opposed to what the author is writing here, bringing forth fruit as a result of our salvation. The things that accompany our salvation give us an abundant life. And our confidence can be in the finished work of Jesus. And He allows us then, because we know He's done it all, He allows us now to give more attention to the things that accompany our salvation, like serving others, like loving others. But we don't do it to achieve heaven. We do it as an overflow of what He's done for us, of the completed work that He's done. So a a better life we have in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 7, verse 19, Jesus offers a better hope. A better hope because the hope that religion puts people into is a false hope. It's not a true hope. The relationship that we have through Jesus draws us closer to God. And that brings true hope. It says in verse 19 in chapter 7, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. 
See, the reason why the law gives false hope is because you may think you've done enough under the law to achieve salvation, but we can never really be sure. There's, there's not a real good way of measuring how much is enough. And so you continue to hope you've done enough. I hope I'll be in heaven one day. I hope I'm a good enough person. I hope I've done enough good works. I hope, hope, hope. But what does it say in 1 John? In 1 John 5.13, John writes, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see that hope. That's, now that's a true living hope in Jesus. We can know that we have eternal life. The law, all the law does, it reveals our inability to completely follow it. All the law does is it shows us that putting hope in the law, putting hope in our, in our good works, isn't enough. That's all the law does. So instead of giving in to the draw of an old system, of an old religious system that, that is based more on works than on faith, it says in 1 John that we continue to believe daily. We put our hope in Christ. See, I think John wrote that knowing that people would be tempted sometimes to go back to those familiar things. That they would be tempted to go back to those traditions of old and try to add to the finished work of Jesus by good works. We're going through, we're laying a foundation here. We're building upon this better Jesus. And in Hebrews 7.22, Jesus offers a better covenant. It says, by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. A surety, a guarantee. See, the old covenant depended on the people's ability to carry out the law. But since we're sinful creatures, since we're imperfect and incapable of perfectly fulfilling the law, we would just remain lost in our sin. But Jesus has become the guarantee. He's become the surety that we can have eternal life. His death, His resurrection and ascension is our promise of everlasting life with God. The old covenant was conditional. It meant that both parties had to fulfill their responsibility in order for the covenant to take effect. The problem is... Jesus is perfect. He will always be faithful. He'll always fulfill His side of the, of the equation. But us, we fall short. As we learned in Romans the other night, there's none that is righteous, no, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. 
So in, on our side of the equation, we can't fulfill that covenant. Jesus did it perfectly. We fall short. So what do we need? The Bible tells us that we needed a new covenant. That the new covenant in Jesus is a better covenant. You see, it's unconditional. Jesus completed His part. We just rest in what He's done. We just believe in what He's done and we receive. In Luke 22.20, it says, Likewise, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood, which is shed for you. The new covenant. We needed a new covenant in Jesus Christ by His shed blood on the cross. The old covenant wouldn't do the trick. Continuing on to, to, to lay that foundation in Hebrews 9.23, the author writes about a better sacrifice. A better sacrifice. He says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. See, those who were receiving this letter at that time, because the animal sacrifices were still occurring, because the temple was still performing all those rituals, those daily rituals, those monthly rituals, those yearly sacrifices, the people would look to those sacrifices to atone for their sin, for their sin, and to bring them into a right relationship with God. But the problem, again, with those sacrifices is they were only temporary. They had to continue day by day bringing the sacrifice. They had to continue month by month with the rituals, year by year. None of it was permanent. It was all temporary. See, Jesus provides a better sacrifice because it's a permanent sacrifice. The animal sacrifices do something good. They have a purpose. They point us toward Jesus, the final sacrifice. Not with the blood of goats and calves in Hebrews 9.12, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus became the final sacrifice necessary for a lost world to come into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then again, continuing to build in Hebrews 10.34. Although our life here is meant to be abundant, it's meant to be meaningful and productive, and we are to live an abundant life because of what Jesus has done for us, a better life, a better life awaits us in heaven. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. The author is saying, don't get too attached to the things of this world. Don't get too attached to your earthly possessions because in an instant they can be gone. 
How many people in this economy over the past several years have lost everything in a financial sense? Because they, have, they were putting all of, their, all of their energies into earthly things. Don't get too attached to your earthly things. Whether they're stolen or they're just lost in a down economy, we need to hold the things of this world with open hands. We need to hold them loosely because we have an eternal home with Jesus, which is better. Paul writes in Colossians, to set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. That's what we need to be thinking about. So don't hold the possessions of this world above what Christ is giving us. And then in Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40, we see that Jesus provides a better testimony. And the Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter of Hebrews. It goes through and gives a testimony of all of the Old Testament saints and what they looked forward to and, and their faith and their belief in God. And they did have an awesome testimony. But Jesus provides a better testimony. It says in verse 39, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Even though the Old Testament saints had a good testimony looking forward to Jesus, they didn't receive the promise because Jesus had not yet come. We, on the other hand, look back. They looked forward. We look back at what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, and we are blessed because we see the fulfillment of that. They looked with faith. What an awesome testimony the Old Testament saints had because they looked with faith. We look back with the knowledge of what Jesus had done. But these saints of old couldn't be made complete apart from the perfect sacrifice of Christ. See, we have a better we have a better testimony because we can put our faith and trust in Jesus and we know that He's already completed the work. When they look forward, they can put their faith in God, but their testimony can't say, well, yes, we've seen what Jesus had done because He hadn't done it yet. Our testimony is that we honor Christ for our salvation and that we don't boast in ourselves but we boast in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 6, 13 and 14, speaking of boasting and having our boasting in the right place, Paul writes, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. So he's saying here that even though they were, you were Jewish, you were brought up in the Jewish faith, you had your traditions of old, you had your rituals, and, they, and they, were, they were good, but you couldn't keep the law. Even those, even those who were circumcised could not keep the law, but they desired to have you circumcised that you may boast in your flesh. See, those people were trying to draw people back to the traditions of old. 
and saying that these traditions and rituals will give you a relationship with God. But, Paul writes, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to boast in any fleshly thing, in in any fleshly endeavor. I'm not going to boast in any good work. I'm not going to boast in any tradition of old. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, the world wants to draw you back. Jesus wants to bring freedom to draw you forward into into that relationship with Him. So we've laid a foundation. we've, We've got something now to build upon. You see that Jesus is better in so many ways. Well, let's go to our main text in Hebrews chapter 1. And we're just going to go through three verses. Three very powerful verses that sort of put the, the walls and the roof on what we just did. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, By the prophets. By the prophets. The prophets of the Old Testament. They were given the oracles of God. They were given prophetic visions of God. They were given His plan for humanity. God spoke through the prophets to the people. The prophets provided a great service and a great purpose to the people. Bringing forth God's word. And he did it in various ways. He spoke through promises. He spoke through the law given to the prophets. He spoke through rituals. He spoke through dreams and visions. And he did this through the inspiration of his word. But when God spoke in the past, it was always in relationship to his law. The prophets would make reference to the law of God. And they spoke blessings or judgments on the people. For disobedience, they spoke judgment. For obedience to the law, they spoke blessings. See, again, that conditional relationship, that, that relationship that had to do with you or the, the keeping of the law. The prophets would speak those blessings to those who were obedient to the law, but they would speak judgment and cursings to the ones who were disobedient. And God spoke to the fathers of the faith. He spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He spoke through Moses and Joshua. He spoke through Samuel. He spoke through Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel, all the prophets of the Old Testament. God spoke directly or indirectly to them and through them to lay a foundation to point people toward Jesus. So we see God doing a great work amongst the Old Testament prophets. And we can understand people being drawn back to that. We can certainly understand people's desire to put their faith and trust in the prophets of old, for they spoke for God. Thus saith the Lord, the prophets would say, and then speak forth the oracles of God. 
Now, sometimes the prophets spoke things that the people didn't want to hear. Sometimes the prophets spoke, spoke judgment upon the people. And sometimes the prophets were killed because of what they spoke. Being faithful to bring forth what they spoke. And I think we can give honor to the prophets of old. If you think about it, we have been given a better testimony. We have been given the full revelation of God's word. Many times the prophets of old spoke things that they didn't completely understand. And yet they were faithful to do so. So the prophets of old certainly have a place in the history of God working through humanity. But we see in verse 2, God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Now in these last days, under the dispensation of grace, God speaks through His Son, Jesus. Jesus is the final revelation of God to the world. It is through Jesus that we discover who God is. No other prophet before Jesus or after Jesus can reveal anything new about God. No prophet that came after Jesus could reveal anything new of his plan for humanity or by the means by which we must get saved. See, not only, Jesus is not only is Jesus better than the Old Testament prophets, but think about it, there are many others who have come since Jesus who claim to have new revelation from God. But Jesus is the final word of God. In 1823, Joseph Smith claimed to receive a message from an angel who gave him special revelation from God. In 1872, Charles Taze Russell began the Jehovah's Witnesses. Russell believed that he had special revelation from God to understand the Scriptures. Even Muhammad, the founder of Islam, claimed to receive signs from God right up until his death. Claimed to be a prophet of God. And how much recently have we heard about the Church of Scientology? L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer who decided that one of his quotes was, if you want to make a million dollars, start a new religion. So he started a new religion, Scientology. But he was a self-proclaimed prophet. And how many people are following that popular system because they, they, they believe in his claims to have heard from God? and have a better way to God. See, God spoke to the Old Testament prophets in various times and in various ways, but no one prophet received the complete revelation of God. Christ is God's last word to the world. All of the Old Testament prophets led up to Christ. All of their prophecies led to Christ. It's important that we realize that Jesus is better than any old or new prophet. 
And he's better for several reasons. He is his son. It says, by his son, God speaks. Jesus is the son of God. No other prophet can make that claim. And Jesus is the heir of of all things. This means that a relationship with Christ will allow us to be partakers of the inheritance of eternal life. Why, Why do I say that? If Jesus is the heir of all things, but it says in Romans 8.17, and if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see, Jesus is the heir of all things, but as those who have been adopted into the family of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. We receive that inheritance. It's like if your best friend received an inheritance, you would expect to be receiving benefits from that. I don't know if it would happen. I know for Jesus, we become joint heirs with Christ. Everything that Jesus has, he has for all of us. What an awesome thing. What an awesome inheritance that we have. And Jesus has given us a purpose. It says in verse 2, through whom he also made the worlds. Jesus has created this universe for his good pleasure. And we are here, we have been created to glorify God in this world. And in that way, we have a true purpose. We have true meaning for our existence. Because we don't do it for ourselves. We do it to glorify God. Everything we do. Everything in word or deed do all to the glory of God. It says in Colossians 1.16, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. No prophet can make that claim. Jesus is the creator. And some people would, would maybe drop Jesus down a notch and say, well, I believe he is a prophet. I believe he is a good teacher, a good moral man. But they won't take that next step of faith to say that I believe he is the son of God. I believe he is God made flesh. I believe that his sacrifice is sufficient to bring me into a relationship with God. But we see here in these scriptures that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And then in verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty On high. Jesus is better because he is the exact representation of the Father to this world. If you want to know what the Father looks like, look to the Son. He's the express image. He's like a steel engraving of what God is to this world. He's the perfect image of the person of God, the Father. He's better. He's better than anybody else. Nobody can represent God like Jesus did. As much as we may try, 
And it's, a, and it's definitely a, an honorable thing to desire to be more like Jesus. We will never be there in this world. But Jesus did it perfectly. And he upholds all things. It says upholding all things by the word of his power. He's the preserver. He's the creator and he's the preserver. Not only was Jesus the, Jesus the agent by which the world's were created, but he holds it all together. And it's not like Jesus would have to crush this world in order to destroy it. All Jesus would have to do would be let go. He holds it all together. I'm sure Pastor Joe could give you the scientific explanation for why that happens. But, like, a, I'll give you a, a more... Uh, Grammar school explanation. It's like, it's like if you take, if you, it's like if you go to the beach and you make a little mud ball at the at, at the beach out of the dirt, out of the sand. You know, it'll hold together. You hold it in your hand. You let go. It'll fall apart. That's all Jesus has to do. But He holds this world together. He holds our life together. He preserves all things. And it's not like a passive holding, but an active, loving, intimate relationship. He holds this world together and yet He's personal enough to hold our very lives in His hands. Amen? Amen. When He Himself purged our sins, Jesus alone became the pardon for our sins. He's better because any other any other way to God doesn't work. Only Jesus because of his perfect life and perfect sacrifice, could pardon us. See, the sin problem, the sin problem needed to be addressed. The penalty needed to be paid. And the only way to do that was through Jesus. And the work-based religions, the traditions of old, can't save anyone. They have a purpose. They point us toward Jesus. And then it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sat down. His work was finished. His work was completed. He completed the mission that he came to earth to carry out. Nothing more needed to be done. He sat down at the right hand of the Father And he rests in the completed work of salvation. Even the priests of the Jewish Jewish faith had to continue to work. They had daily sacrifices, monthly rituals, yearly feasts. Continue to work. And they never knew when they were finished. None of them could say, well, I've done this ritual. I've completed the work. There's nothing more that needs to be done. None of them could say that. Jesus, our great high priest, sat down after he completed the work. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he makes intercession, the Bible says, for you and for me. When Jesus was on the cross, his last words 
where it is finished. It is finished. Nothing more. Now the temptation may be there for many of us who have come out of a rich religious tradition. The traditions that have, that have been instilled in us from our youth may still be drawing some of us back. We need to be able to resist those things that would claim to be better than Jesus Christ and put our full faith and trust in the one who is not only better, but the best. The best. Jesus is the Son of God. The prophets were merely men. Christ made the worlds, and He upholds the worlds. He sustains the worlds. He's purged our sins. He's completed the work. And He sat down, and He's saying to you and to me, rest in me. Rest in my finished work. Trust in what I've done. Don't believe in anything that you can do. And maybe, maybe someone here today has to break from those traditions of old. Maybe someone here today is being drawn back to those things. And maybe now that we've laid a foundation for you, you see that Jesus is better, 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 better. That Jesus truly is the best. You can walk away from those things knowing that anything that you leave behind, you won't miss in comparison to the abundant life that Jesus has for you. So as we close this morning, I would just ask anyone who may have been stuck in a, in a tradition, stuck in a ritualistic religious relationship, maybe continuing to go back to those things and put their faith and trust in those rituals, I would ask any of you, if you want to surrender, as we, as we sung that song, all to Jesus, if you want to surrender all of those things to Him now, I would ask that you would walk forward and I'll just pray for you to leave those things behind you. To come into a, a relationship with the Lord through what Jesus has done. We're not going to play any music this morning. We're not going to try to get your emotions all stirred up. We're just going to, I'm just going to invite you.